and welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. We trust you'll benefit from our unique lineup of CEOs, generals, and leaders from all business sectors. Whether you're an aspiring, inspiring leader or a seasoned leader seeking further motivation, this podcast provides you with practical life tips, sound wisdom, and world-class leadership advice. I'm your host, Jonathan Bowman-Perks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's Inspiring Leadership Podcast. I'm delighted to have our guest, Horst Schultz. Horst is someone I've been wanting to have on this podcast for about a year. He's a very busy man. And finally, we've got him. Now, Horst was the co-founder and former president of the famous Ritz-Carlton Hotels Company. And he also then went on to found a new hotel business called the Capella Hotels. And they have a hotel which is number one in the world, which is in Bali. And I want to go there, Horst, one time. Perhaps I should take my wife and go and visit. And uh, his book is called Excellence Wins. And I I read the book about a year ago and found it so relevant to the whole area of people, customer service, employees, a lot of fine words, as Horst and I were speaking about earlier, about our employees are our most important asset. Think of them as an asset rather than actually engaging people who re- really want to come to work and delight their their clients, their customers, and, and how they are. So without further ado, Horst, welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. Great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Well, I, look, I mean, I think the first thing is um, so good to have you. Um, in your book, Excellence Wins, you stress the importance of setting clear expectations. I wondered for your, your staff uh, and your team, and I wondered what practical advice uh, you'd give to people on how to set these clear expectations, how to communicate it in the different leaders around the world as they're listening. But interest that's an interesting question because it seems to be a confusing thing. I don't understand why, but, but all decisions should be made very simply based on the objective, the long-term vision of the company. Who do I want to be in 10 or 15 years from now? That has to be so crystal clear. I mean, and, and, and you know, the word leadership, we talk about leadership, and, and I talk to leaders, and when you ask them, what do you want your company to be 10 years? They, they don't know. They lead, but otherwise they lead without knowing where they're going. <laughs> that's Believe me, that's very common out there. So, but once I know where I want to be, then all answers become very clear. The next question, of course, is when I know where I want to be, how I'm going to get there. If I want to go to New York with a group of people, how I'm going to get there? Should we fly, take the plane, or do we take a bus? And if we take a bus, do we get gasoline? What, 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 What are we going to do? Do we look at the roadmap? I'm going to try. And once I know my destination, I can find out all the all the steps that it takes me to get there. And that's what I concentrate on as a leader. Yeah, I think that's, that's beautifully put. And I, I loved a, a similar book, which um completely different setting, but it brings out the same themes that you've just been talking about, Horse, which is called, Does It Make the Boat Go Faster? And it was about the British Rowing 8 team in the Sydney Australian Olympics. And everything they did, they asked the question, 
is this going to help us in, I think at the time, eight years time, win gold at the Olympics? And they won by 0.08 of a second. And everything they did was towards that goal. And they, they whenever they had a problem, they go, does it, does it make the boat go faster? And, and I, I can tell you, my, my decision when I started Ritz Carlton was very simply before I got there, before we had a hotel, before anything else, anything, I had to say, I want to create the finest hotel company in the world. That's why I left my other job with golden handcuffs behind me to go to this place for a simple vision. From there on, all decisions. When, when I had a meeting, as we were manager, was we were running, we had a meeting, I said, we shouldn't have this meeting unless it brings us closer to our objective of being the best in the world. But here's what a leader has to understand too. It's not enough that you have clearly defined vision. It's essential that you question yourself, is it good for all concerned? Otherwise, it may be immorality in itself. Is it good for the investors? If it isn't, I mean, you won't be in business. Is it good for every employee? Is it good for every customer? Is it good for society as a whole? Those are the questions that answer, and depends who you are. I, I, I look here. I'm not selling anything here. Don't misunderstand. Just to be fully and uh, uh, open, I, I went by myself and said, "Would God approve?" At the same time, but once the answers clearly were yes, I have now clearly defined a vision which I have no rights to compromise anymore, because I would be going against everybody else. Mm-hmm. No, the thing that struck me was that immense drive, vision, determination. Where, where did that come from, Horst? I mean, tell me about, tell us about your upbringing. And, and was that laid down for you in your upbringing? Or was it something you just brought up yourself? What was the, what was the I, shape? I, of- I, I, well, of course, uh, I have given that thought myself. What, what, who am I? What drives me, and so on. I think great impact. My, my, of course, the parents have great impact. We have as small children, but I left home when I was fourteen, uh, working because my, my parents found a job in the best hotel in the region, which unfortunately was over hundred kilometers away. At that time, that was far. But the, the huge impact is my first major D, my first head waiter I worked for as a bus boy. And the first day when I met with him, he two sentences that changed my life, literally. Now, I didn't know it at the time. At the time, it fought and went over my head, everything. <laughs> but he said, first thing he said, tomorrow show up at 7 a.m. If I meant one minute after 7, I would tell you so. He established very clear parameters who we are. And discipline, everything in one sentence there. Now, I learned that. <laughs> Believe me, he lived accordingly. And then he said, and don't come to work. Come here tomorrow to create excellence in what you're doing. Not work. Excellence is what I'm looking for. Well, now, now that was went truly over my head because I knew the next day I would have to wash dishes, clean floors, etc., etc. What's excellence about that? Well, or the next three and a half years, I learned uh, that you don't go to work to fulfill functions as a human being. 
things fulfill functions your your telephone or your or your computer or your chair on which you're sitting you as a human being have to have a higher intent and and that is excellence high intent and hard work creates excellence but you don't go to work for function hmm. it's interesting you've reminded me of when i was a young officer in the british army and i just uh came out from santos where i've been trained for for uh, a year and a half and and i reported to my first job my first appointment and i had a seasoned old captain who'd been a private soldier all the way through to regimental sergeant major commissioned became an officer became a captain and i went in and i saluted and i said you know jonathan uh, roman perks here reporting for duty sir uh and i said I don't know very much, so I'd like to learn from you. And he said, boy, he said, I thought I had someone who was right up their own backside and was so full of themselves, but you've got the right attitude. If you're prepared to learn, I will teach you. And he made sure I went out and partied that night. But he said, like your maitre d', he said, 7 a.m., the men are on parade and you're going for a five-mile run with them. You lead them by example, as if you've never been out the night before. Don't breathe a word about it and lead by example. And I, I Ian Buckley, Captain Ian Buckley, I owe him a great favor, like your maitre d'. And, yes. and, and that brings me on to the other point, which was about leading by example. He wouldn't ask anything of me that he wouldn't do himself because he'd been a soldier. He knew what life was like. He knew what it meant to have a good officer or a bad officer leading him. You had a maitre d' who, who taught you from the very beginning. And I think our first few leaders have a huge impact on us, not just our parents, but the first few. What's, what's your own I, thoughts about that and leadership by example? I mean, a traumatic impact. And, and he, uh, as I said, he used those two sentences, but he lived those two sentences. He, he literally, I, I have not met anybody like it. Literally, he had high intent in every activity he undertook. And he didn't serve, his intent, for example, was not to bring food and beverage to the guest, but to instill well-being. There was a high intent in everything. And that was remarkable. Of course, my, when, when you're very young, it makes deep impressions and, and you start looking at that person as a as an example constantly uh, with a desire to kind of be him at one day even though i lost it uh, after leaving there i lost it for a long time <laughs> the, the world takes over but uh, thank goodness uh, one day i was reminded of, of my before i left there by the way he made, he said look me in the eye one more time that was three and a half years later promise me never to go to work and I promised him and went right on and went to work until I had a experience where I was reminded of the matter D and I went to apologize just several years later to him, even though he had passed away and talked with him. <laughs> he was no spirit. I just talked to him and I, and I apologized that I went to work and I promised him it would never happen again. And it didn't. I, I literally didn't. It's very powerful yeah, great story. Impact, great impact, uh, and, and we we have to be aware. We we make impacts on young people too. We have to be aware of that when we work. That's why uh, it, it, it's the greatest gift to be the the right example and and set the right standards. 
what is misunderstood there often is to be a nice guy. That's not it. Is I'm not going to work so people like me. I'm going to work to be uh, to be sure they're successful together with all concerned. Yeah, and and I was reading something just today about um, over niceness that sometimes people think they've got to be popular and nice. And often they don't speak truth to people. So they're not candid. They're not honest with people. They actually lie to try and be popular. And that's not the right way ahead. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, horse. Well, well, precisely. And I, I, I cannot always. It is, I'm, not, I'm not there so you... I'm not there to so that you like me. I hopefully respect me, but hopefully I am there to give you something. To take you forward in your in your life, to give you help you with your standards and so on. In my business, I'm 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 there to challenge you. Be, besides that, I am anyway. I'm as the leader. I'm the standard setter. If if I'm if I'm compromised that, I'm not a leader anymore. I I feel that as the leader, I own number one. I own the vision of the company. I own it, and I have, and I keep on pointing toward and pointing point and 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 moving toward that and insist that the organization moves to, toward that vision, which I know is good for all concerned. Number two, I'm the standard setter. I'm the standard setter. I cannot delegate standards. I, I hope that you understand the standards and I keep on pushing the standards forward. And, and, and number three, I own the values. I don't let anybody impact the values, positively, negative. I own the values of the organization. Those are the things I own as a leader very clearly. And and I have to live it. I have to present them, live them, teach them, and be and be that standard. Uh, and that comes back to the thing that I share deeply with you, this aspiration to lead by example, to go there first ourselves as the leader. And um I I think back to my time as a managing director that that people weren't watching me for what i said that was fine but did that match to what i was actually doing was my rhetoric matching what they saw me doing and and i've i've now i'm you know in my 60s and i've got four children who are all married and two grandchildren uh, one who's almost three and one's a one and a half but they watch what you're doing they of don't course. really hear what you're saying and they tend to mirror what you're doing. And I think we never really stop that, do we? Is that that leadership by example is a key part of of your philosophy, isn't it? Well, clear. And we we have to be just aware of that is the that is the fact if we like it or not. And and people people see who you are. And, and but it, there's some funny stories around that. Uh, everybody, you know, uh, the, as you know, I started Ritz Carlton. So as Ritz Carlton, I opened the first 40 or so Ritz Carlton hotels. N- not, I didn't go to, there as a CEO drinking champagne and dancing. I went there to orient and teach the employees in part of teaching. And the, the interesting thing is that it was so accepted. For example, I went by the dishwashing department and I see the dishwasher, and I had washed more dishes than most of them has seen <laughs> years ago. So I sometimes stepped in and said, okay, here's how you really touch and here is really good machine. And so I spend there a minute or two. 
And sure enough, the next day there was the rumor in the company that I washed dishes all day long. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you live by an example, even for a minute, you get the right. If you do those things, the right opinion will be created in the organization and sometimes so, somewhat exaggerated. <laughs> well, and it's so lovely to hear that. And it's back to some of the best military leaders that I see. I see a few CEOs who do this by example. Uh, I think of Matt Oppenheimer over in Remitley, who's in Seattle. He really leads by example and doesn't expect anybody to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. He goes and takes client calls and deals with the live issues they have because the customers really matter because it's about a remittance app on the phone that helps uh, immigrants send money back to their loved ones. And, and that really matters dealing with those kind of issues. Um but I, I think this whole idea of being a standard setting, standard setter, owning the values. And interestingly, I loved your point about owning the vision, because I think too many CEOs I come across go, well, I'll get a team from McKinsey or somebody to tell me what my yeah. vision should be. Well, why mm -hmm. are you outsourcing the very mm -hmm. thing that they look to you to set the strategy? And I've also just been listening. I had general... Um, uh, David Petraeus uh, on, and he and and Lord Andrew Roberts have written a book called Conflict about different battles and wars over time. And the ones that went well, they had a clear strategy of what they were going to do, like uh, General Templar in Malaya when they actually stopped the counterinsurgency. But other times in Vietnam and Iraq or Afghanistan, where there wasn't a clear mission and a, a vision and everybody stuck to it, it it, it was lost. And I think it's the same in business, isn't it? But listen, it, it, it's, it's kind of fascinating. I mean, dealing with, with a lot of CEOs and a lot of companies, there is only a very small percentage who have a vision. They have mission statements. We do this and this and this. and this. Well, Okay, since you do that, do you have in mind where that will bring you? Do you have a higher intent where what you do, what, what your company will be? Is it good for all concerned? I have to underline this all the time <clears throat> because that's your role. Your, your role as the leader is to be of value to all concerned. Yeah, and so I, I repeat this because it is also forgotten. It seems to the most CEOs see their role as to, to, for the success, the financial success of, of the organization. And that's not the only role, but that your, your role is the success of every individual in your organization, that they have a place of, of its well-being, which on the end will create higher financial results. They, they don't have visions. They, they, they're talking about a vision statement, on, but their mission statements. And others, when you, when you talk about them, about a vision statement, they create visions about where the company could be in five years or whatever. No, no, no. Your vision is a dream. It's where you would love to be. What would be wonderful to be when then but believe me, once you once you have that dream, you will be able to figure out how to get there. If if I set my vision to be an eight, I will never accomplish a 10. Mm. Mm. It's just not possible. No. A dream, create something beautiful, see something beautiful for all concerned. I, I think that's so true. And people get 
behind a vision from a leader. They get excited by it. They want to get up and go to the place where they can make a difference and make that vision come true. But those who don't, they just, as you said, go to work in a place day after day, not knowing where it's going. And so you don't get the best of them. You don't empower them and you don't you don't get their best, do you? Yes, I just started working. It's interesting. I just started working with an organization. They do industrial cleaning. With other words, they go into factories cleaning, big buildings and clean them and so on. So they're, they're big. They're, of course, their their labor force is cleaners. So as I, I ask them, okay, tell me how you hire them. Well, they offer a, a cleaning job. For, I said, no, do not offer them a cleaning job. Offer them to join you of becoming the finest cleaning company in the world. Offer them purpose and belonging. You know, even Aristotle said 3,000 years ago already, in order to be fulfilled, you need purpose and belonging. So why would we not offer our organization and each single employee is in an organization, purpose and belonging. No, no, but we offer them, what we do offer them is a function. No different than the chair on which we're sitting is fulfilling a function. That's how we deal with human beings. What is your expectation if that is so? And then the expectation is a very high one. Well, I'm not setting high intent. How can my expectation be that is, if I don't even set high intent to the individuals, I want to uh, invite them to join a purpose of an organization. Your function happens to be cleaning, but that's not what you're here for. You are here for joining to create something exceptional together. Yeah. And of course, there's the famous story about the builders or the sweeper. Uh, the famous one with the NASA sweeper and, you know, one was asked and he was sweeping the floor. The other one said, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. And then yeah. the other one of the three builders, one was putting bricks together. The other one was um, building a cathedral, building a wall. And the third was building a cathedral. It's this 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 longer term vision. I, 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 I so get that. And And you also in your book talk beautifully about empowerment and trust. And I just wondered if you could share any stories about empowerment and trust that will bring this home to people listening. Yeah, well, I understand it was easier for me because most of our, the company, Ritz Carlton Company in this case, we started new. We had the first hotel. I opened the first hotel and running it and I opened the second and slowly built the company. And as I said, I in fact was there for two, three weeks in the opening of every Ritz-Carlton in the first 40 or so teaching the employees. So I was a well-known person in the organization. The employees didn't defer to me as they, them in the corporate office, uh, but I was forced to help them, show them how to make beds and how to dishes. So I was well-connected globally with them. Uh, I had the respect of them because of it. So... It, it became very clear. I could not afford to lose a customer. My type of level customer that maybe uses a suite and spends a few thousand dollars a night for a suite is not only influential, he has he she have control over business. They can shut me off in a in a in a whole 
company of travel agencies. They became, can become a terrorist against my company. So I cannot afford that they live, un, live unhappy. And we learned, studied, this is kind of fascinating in, in, in between here. Uh, we learned and, and studied that when guests complained, 94% all they want is to get rid of their frustration. They want to tell somebody and have somebody accept their frustration. And so we realized we have to empower employees if the if the if the guest complains to the bus boy in the morning that his TV didn't work, we had to be able to say that the that the bus boy said, "Please forgive me about my TV, and I will take care of it." In fact, I feel so bad; I will buy your breakfast. We knew that moved a, a potential terrorist against the company to be an ambassador of the company. And besides that, I knew I want to make it clear. Besides that, I knew that that uh, my my uh, my my guest was average age was forty three years old. I knew they could travel another thirty years. I knew that would meant about two hundred thousand dollars. So I knew there was an economic thing. So I made a decision to empower every employee, every employee equally to make a decision up to $2,000 if a guest was unhappy, to turn that guest around and make sure that guest did not leave as a terrorist, but left as an ambassador. Now, believe me, when I announced that that was a, a nuclear explosion in business, what do you want to do? You want passports to give $2,000? No, I want to keep the guest. I want to keep... And, and you know, Frankly, nobody, one guest, one employee spent close to 2000 nobody ever. But the win-win situation was dramatic, dramatic it was. So, yes, I cannot just tell, expect, my said to my employee, here's all my expectations. But incidentally, I do not trust you. <laughs> yes, and this, this is the key thing, that people expected to be more trust in the organization but they won't as the leader give trust to the people who work for them they expect it to come the other way now yes and now we talk we talk that whole package and first of all certified every employee around the world we have 24000 employees in, in five continents uh, certified every employee how to handle problem and solution and how to move to that uh, empowerment and and taught them how to deal with the guests how to look them in the eye in in a nutshell we taught now this is uh, condensed number one listen number two show empathy number three apologize number four make amends and we came to the amends part uh, look if, if that guest that changed that complained about his TV in the morning to a bus boy, and the bus boy said, gee, I feel so bad about my TV. That guest was even embarrassed that he complained to that bus boy. And then the bus boy went ahead and said, I'm going to buy your breakfast because I feel bad. <laughs> Imagine this to happen. Now, the, the, this, this guy, he, he was ours. That guest was ours from there on. We owned him. You know, so it was not a 
lose moment. It was a very selfish business decision, which created a shock wave with the asset managers of the hotels that own that were owned. We, we didn't own the hotels, we managed hotels. They asked the asset manager want to sue me for mismanagement. <laughs> but it worked out it created and became well known. Yeah, well, it, it's great. But I mean, it is amazing that you set up the Ritz-Carlton, uh, you co-founded and set that up, did that for a number of years, and then you set up a brand new, the Capella Group, which you set up as well. Uh, which what, is now awarded number one in the world, by the way. Which, which is the, the the one in, in Bali? What What's the hotel name? Of yeah, that that's, the, that's the Capella Bali, but, but not only that, the company itself is the highest rated hotel company. Uh, at the last 11 years when I was running Ritz Carlton, it was voted number one. And, and you know, in five continents, in every location, we were the leader. It was not a coincidence. It's 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 hiring, it's selecting people a certain way, uh, orienting them into the organization a certain way, communicating. For example, everybody talks about culture. Culture, 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 culture. Now, but how how do I make sure I have a rich culture in five continents? Well, we made sure that the same conversation took place in every hotel the same day. Today, we would cha charge, for example, uh, number twelve of a non-negotiable point that we had. As one example was, if a guest asked for direction. Don't point, take him there. Now, before every shift, every day, we, sh we share one of the non-negotiable, some people call it gold standards, and I call them non-negotiable. We had 20. We share one of them with every employee around the, around the globe. The same one, but at the same time that we share a letter from a guest the same time we share what is new in the company so the conversation takes place today in every shift every hotel around the world is the same so so you become the same culture yeah i i i love that and and you, your 20 non-negotiables that you um created just give me two of them for example well, if you see a defect, report it immediately, report it, correct it, and report it immediately. And so everybody had a defect reporting card in their pocket. Because if I see defects repeat, then we created a team, we call them the tiger team, to find the root cause of that defect, eliminated the root cause, so the defect will never, ever happen again. So that's called continuous improvement. So that was just one of them. Uh, and oh, just, just staying with that one, was it in your book that, that you found that the breakfasts were getting to people cold? Was that the one with the lifts? That's and, the one in room, room service. And the tell, tell the story. Tell the story. <laughs> but this is a kind of fascinating. I opened the first hotel, obviously, the first regional Carlton Hotel. There was not us. I opened it. It happened to be in, in Atlanta. And our number one complaint was slow room service, cold room service, slow room service. And it was a number one complaint in the hotel. For, and so what I, did I do as the manager, typical manager, I called the room service manager and the food and beverage director and say, I do not, I have told you now several times, now read my lips right now, I do not want this anymore. Do you understand? Well, so with other words, I attacked the mistake 
rather than root cause. I learned later root cause analysis and so on. So we created a team to say why after 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 three years, it was still the number one complaint in the hotel. So we created a team, of course, consisting out of a chef, cook, a room service waiter, room service busboy, room service order taker, and to find the root cause. Everything went fine until they came to the elevator. They had to be extraordinarily long. Now, mind you, in the morning, the elevator is busy, the service elevator is busy with maids coming to work, everybody coming to work, etc. And But it was unusually long wait. So they, they decided to sit in the elevator and see why. Well, on the fourth floor, a houseman comes in. Houseman is the person that supplies the maids with soap, towels, linen, and so on. And he goes up to the sixth floor and blocks open the door, goes out, comes back with more linen, and then he blocks again on another floor and comes up, and then he leaves. But another houseman comes and does the same thing. Now, suddenly, housekeeping is involved in the process. Why do you do that? Well, because we are short of linen. Normally, you have three sets of linen. One is on the bed and one is being washed, but one should be in traffic. So, so but we're short of linen. We, so we steal linen from each other, <laughs> the different floors. What is this all about? So they involved the laundry manager said, why? And he said, well, it's simple. We only have two sets. Now, why? Well, because before we opened the hotel, we had a budget problem. And Mr. Schulze, which has to be me, <laughs> cut out one set of linen out of the out of the budget. That's why we're short ever since. That's why <laughs> so the reason for slow room service was me because we didn't have linen that slowed down the elevator. So when we added a set of linen, we eliminated the slow room service complaint by nearly 80%. Wow. That's just yeah. a brilliant, I, I still remember that story from your book to this yeah. day. That's a root cause analysis. So we teach root cause analysis in the hotels. Yeah. We I expect at least three teams to work on repeat defects that are going to be eliminated permanently. Yeah, which which comes back to one of your principles, which is exceptional customer service. And and if you were to try and, as you do, you teach many different CEOs and their organizations today about yeah. uh, exceptional customer service. What what's your story? If you had a story there, what's your story about exceptional customer service and? And how do you help them think about getting this bit right? Well, there are, it, it's, we have to accept it's done by people. Somehow, even a B and b business to business, there is still a human being in one B dealing with the human being in another. And the opinion in those companies happen, is driven by, the, by that relationship and that, that service, if you will. We have to understand it's people, and somehow CEOs don't seem to understand that. Uh, and, and so I have to, since it's people, my, my, one of my key processes has to be to have the right people. And that is so poorly done in organization. And so that you're, if the person 
if your employee is not a good employee, it, maybe he was really strong by his mother. But you were, forgive me when I say that, you were the dummy that hired him. Why do you hire him if he's not good? There's something wrong with your selection process. Or if it is not your selection process, it's your employee orientation process. Totally mismanaged at all times. I have watched so many. It is nearly pathetic what happens, how, how people get onboarded. You know, the rules and regulation of the company and here the insurance papers and here. And, and by the way, we're a team here. We're a team. Oh, without giving objectives. What is a team? A team is a group of people who have a common objective and help each other toward that objective. But that objective is never given. Just a team speech is being made. And then what do we do next? We, we say, Bill, the new waiter, hypothetically, or whatever he is, Bill, the new waiter. For now, work with Jim over here. He knows the ropes. Suddenly, you're in the rope business. And we're turning over, Bill, the new employees, to Joe, who knows ropes. And on the way to the kitchen, Jim tells the new way that this company is the worst. That is his orientation. And then we expect something. Orientation, the first of orientation, should be a sharing as to who we are, what we think, what we feel, what is our what our customers think of us, what do we want to communicate with the customers, how do we want to say hello to the customer, the emotions, the first day, inviting. Here's you now part of something, and here's what you're part of, has to be the first orientation. Not here are the rules and regulation. By the way. Let me make this clear. Much of what you expect from your employees is the right behavior. Respecting each other, respecting the guests, being in time. They're all behavioral elements. Yet, wait a second. We know from behavioral scientists that behavior cannot be taught after a person is 16 years old. Unless... There is a significant emotional event in the person's life. And the first day of work is a significant emotional event. And what we do, we don't teach them behavior. We teach them the rules and regulation of the company. Silly stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there are four processes as far as I'm concerned. Number one is selection. Number two is orientation. Number three is teaching the process. And number four is the work environment. If you have a bad employee, it happens because of one of those four processes. Maybe you selected wrong. Or you have the wrong work environment. It's no use to blame them as being bad employees. You can't do anything about it. But you have to look at your own processes. Why you have turnover. Maybe it's electron, maybe teach wrong, maybe they don't feel part. Maybe, you know, huge, I have to tell you, huge study is pretty old, but however, huge study. Three million blue collar workers, US and, and Europe, with many, many universities involved. And the question was, was, what would you, what is important to you in your job? 
Money was number six, by the way. Mm-hmm. Number one was a sense of belonging, mm. purpose, and we don't offer it. Now, 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 why would that be? Because we're still stuck in Taylorism. That's why. Mm. Well, it, it's interesting, the whole thing of Taylorism and machine bureaucracies and not thinking about the people, the customers, the employees who you want to come to work loving what they do. It's interesting in the research that my wife and I have done around what makes inspiring leaders and high-performing individuals, three of the eight components that we find very powerful fit with what you've talked about. One is moral quotient, the values that, that you, the leader, set, beliefs and the values and beliefs that people live. The second one is that sense of meaning and purpose, PQ. So that's MQ and PQ. And the third is LQ, legacy, leaving a legacy, leaving things better than you found it. Stewardship, looking, you know, you don't you don't own uh, this job. You're just in it for a period of time. And while you're there making excellent experiences for your customers, you're leaving it better than you found it. And each day you're leaving a customer with a better experience than the one they had before. Does that fit for you? Oh, absolutely. Clearly, you're, 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 you're in, a, in a continued improvement. You know, we, we have to remember, why are we where we are? Uh, because we still have one foot in Taylorism. Taylor, Taylor obviously was the one that helped mass production and during the Industrial Revolution, the greatest uh, the one that uh, talked to another level was Henry Ford I, who actually said, don't hire people with the brain, hire people with four hands. They, they do, we think. Now, how ridiculous is that? Because I can tell you that even the guy that puts those four screws on every day knows to, how to do that better than I do. So I should I should be willing to go to them and ask them how do we do it better. Mm-hmm. Now, in other words, there's no respect at all whatsoever to the human being. Well, that was the teaching, and we somehow still have a foot in there. Instead of understanding, we're hiring people to join us in 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 a journey of of excellence, hopefully, and journey of excellence. And we we know if I, the room service vader for me, knows better how to do room service than I do in my office. So how about giving them some elbow room, and li- which they also said they would like, and listen to them, and listen to them. You know, but in, in the, I have to say that in, in the same, as we do not, it seems to me, looking at many, no, not everybody I know, and I, I don't mean to be patronizing, but most people do not understand these feelings of the employee, and at the same time, do do not understand the feeling of the guest. I I went recently, or the customer, or the patient, or whatever you call them, it doesn't matter. I spoke recently to a a meeting of the the classic hotels of America. Before me was a speaker who in 30 minutes said 30 times at least, She's a, she runs a good resort, by the way, that's beside the point. But she said about 30 times, forget everything you know about the hotel business. Everything is new. 
forget everything new until now. Everything's new. And you, you talked about the technologies, the checking in on this thing and checking out on this thing and, and, and all those things. She talked about technology and kept on repeating, forget everything new. Everything is new. When I came up, I said, the first thing I said, nothing is new. My goodness, 5,000 years ago, human beings, guests or employees wanted to be respected. That was true 1,000 years ago. That was true last week and today and tomorrow and in 5,000 years from now. And we are here to give that honor and respect. And the technology should help us. Now, we can't get away that we deal with human beings, through human beings, and that's my point in all, in all cases. So I have to understand what to do with those. If, you, if I look at the left, a lot of people, those are my, is this my market or my potential market. If I'm a good business, I know what that market expects from my product. And if I'm good management, I create processes, system measurements and control to deliver it. If at the same time I'm a good leader, I create an environment in which my employees want to do that. Now I have a great organization. Why, what, why would that be an argument? Beautifully put. And so what I'm hearing that you've done is that that sense of vision, clear values, that the things you will live by and that you won't live by. And leaving things better, world-class, this idea of a world-class organization that people want to be something in something they're proud of. But at the same time, what I'm hearing that you did and what I read about is that you had the ability to go from the visionary and the strategic down to helping them fold the corners of a bed and show them what high standards are about. So you could go from the from the balcony to the dance floor and back again. Did I hear that right? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, I had a, it would be maybe not necessary, but in my case, natural, because that's how I grew up. Mind you, I left home when I was 14, lived in a hotel about 100 kilometers away, which was far at the time. As in, that's where I met, met the D. And did all the menial work of a hotel. That's how I grew up. So I can relate to this particular job. And that is why I did these things. As I said, uh, I'm, I walked into a room and showed them, well, no, no, you don't take the sheet here. You take them on the end so you don't fold it and pull it straight. And the maids later thought, said, and that's the only thing I did. And later, when I walked through with the and so, so happened, walked through with a reporter and uh, the, the maid, that maid, happened to come through the, the court and said, oh, Mr. Schultz and so on. And the reporter said, you know him? Oh, yeah, he taught me how to make a room. <laughs> 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 I didn't teach how to make a room. I, taught, I just told her how to pull the bed sheet straight without putting another crease into it. You know, so... I was very closely involved in that. But of course, these are the pieces put together. But of course, you have, as a leader, you have to have an overall side. And again, by, for me, that side is driven by the vision that I have. Again, you know, I cannot go away from that. And I will come back to it over and over. 
if you have a beautiful vision that is good for all, you will find the answers how to get there. It, 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 there's no question about it. And when I said before, though, you have to know the market at all times. The market should drive it. It's not about you. It's about them. Mm -hmm. It's all about it's them. About them. And, uh, and, yeah. and if I know what the market wants, then I have to make a decision, though, that I want to deliver this, what they want, superior to the competition. That's my decision. Yeah. yeah how often I'm, I accomplish that, I don't know. But I, we, we pretty well did because the world said you're number one. You're the best. I mean, right. our company, not me. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it is interesting that you've met so many people from all walks of life, from, as you said, the bellboy, the um, the people changing the rooms, whatever role they are, top chefs. And you will have also met some really inspiring CEOs. And if you, you you've talked to many CEOs of many different businesses, oh, yeah. but if you were to pick out two CEOs who are still CEOs now today of hotels that you know well enough that you say these leaders inspire me, who would you pick out as a couple of examples? And what is it about them that has inspired you? Well, let me not hotel. Let me give it to a different mm -hmm. company. I, I I was asked to to consult with a small bank in in Central Texas. That's not something I want to do because Central Texas, you try and get there. I, it, it it is it is painful, and I have no interest in a small bank. But the the the, the CEO and friend of mine, and and I felt obligated and. At least talk to him, and so I talked with that CEO. They had several branches, small organization, and I talked them out of doing my consulting. And I said, you know, you don't want me to do this because I will come there. I'm outspoken. I'm not saying what you want me to say, and I'm going to say things that is the opposite of what you have taught so far. And he said, Horst, the bank is more important than I am. Wow. But that blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. And I said, wait a second. It won't bother you. No, I want the bank to be successful. That is my that is my obligation as a leader to make the bank successful. And if that means I have to admit that I'm wrong, I'm happy to do that. And I sat back afterwards and realized, man, this man is better than I am. My ego would probably not have allowed that. Wow. I, it, it, it was absolutely. And sure enough, a, couple, a few years later, he, with, with major successes, he put me on the front page of the annual report. I would have never done that. I have to be very honest. I, I, I How he was able. I mean, so there are leaders that truly are there, and you wish you have would have them for countries too, uh, that are truly there to do the best for whom they serve. And would you and, mention his name since he's so good? Uh, well, uh, his first name is God. I don't want to. I don't, don't know if he wants me to say it or whatever. But okay. it was kind of a, a, a beautiful experience. A beautiful experience. Or, or work with them. With the group Shen met, I, can, I know they allow me to say that because I asked them for permission before. 
Shen Medical, who had a small, who had a small walk-in doctor's office with Shen practitioners, and they tried extended that to do it for Medicare patients. Now, Medicare patients, doctors don't want to serve Medicare patients because they lose money on it. But they say, we, are, we will create a situation where we can serve Medicare patients, where we don't lose money, so that we can serve the, 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 those that need it the most. And they, they were absolutely committed to make this a success so that they could serve people who needed the most in, in medicine. And sure enough, we now have, we, they had a couple of uh, doctor offices. We now have 150. Wow. And with a major success and learned how to do it, serving the most needy in that area with a total commitment to excellence of health service to those individuals. Uh, you know, and, and you thought in the beginning, losing money in the beginning and, and, and struggling and saying, we will not give up. We will learn how to serve this market. Wow. Mm. I don't know if I could have done that. Mm. I don't know. Which is leading me on to my next question. We're near the end. And so in a minute, I'll do the two-minute top tip. But before then, it, it is interesting. You have very strong opinions. You, you did say to me, you joked and said, I'm quite opinionated. And, and, and you laughed at your own ego. And I, I have to keep managing my ego and pushing it back in the box. But good leaders have both courage and humility. What have you learned about the, the balance between having the courage to do tough things but also having the humility to admit when you're wrong or that you don't know or that you need help. What's your story on that? Well, if you <laughs> if you don't admit once in a while that you're not wrong, you're not learning anymore. My goodness, you have to look around and say, is, is there a higher, is there something higher here? I, I, I learned one thing that I also try to share and I probably will give that as a, have to give that as a strong sharing. It is my decisions in this case, and that's a decision too. Do I want to learn or not? And once you make a decision that you want to learn, that you want to learn, you have to admit where you're wrong. Simple as that. Your destiny is the decisions that you make in life. And if those decisions are of high intent, then even though it is difficult, you will overcome some of your ego stuff. And, and, you know, I, I'm not advocating to be without ego, have pride. If, you, if you're without ego, you're probably also without vision. Have pride. But always question yourself, is what you're doing good for all concerned? That is the measurement that you have to make. If, you fa if that measurement fails, you are becoming immoral. And you have to under once you understand that, and so, so you over. I overcome my ego simply by the reality checks, by being by having reality checks and truth. Simple as that. Very good. So my penultimate question before we go on to your top two minute tip is: Horse, is there a, a good book that you've read recently on leadership? Apart from that excellent book, Excellence Wins by Horse Schultz. <laughs> Uh, but of course, being as <laughs> modest as you are with no ego, you wouldn't mention that one. But um, is there a, is there another? Yes, book I would. Yes, I would. Yes, I would. That you'd recommend? Well, I I 
look here, I go back to one that hopefully most of you have read anyway. But, you know, of, of a dear friend who passed away several years ago, it, it, it is still a must. And that is Seven Habits of Leadership by Stephen Covey. Yeah. It, it, it's a must. Uh, Steve, Stephen was just a fantastic thinker and analyst of, of organizational analysts and so on. And you, you shouldn't. And the, the others, of course, is Peter Trucker's books and so on. I mean, don't, you, you know, there's so many new ones and so many of them are good and so on. But, you know, that, that's the foundation. Go back yeah. to that well, it's very interesting you mentioned that because um, his son, Stephen M.R. Covey, who wrote yeah. the book, The Speed of Trust, has just yeah. put a new book out called Trust and Inspire. And through yeah. his agency, they approached me to come on the podcast. And I'm interviewing Stephen Covey Jr. next oh. week on the podcast to talk about things that matter to you, like trust and inspire. So I will mention that you and yeah. I talked and you give him my regards because uh, Stephen was a friend. Yes, I, I thought that might be a close connection. He would like that. He would like that. Horse, thank you for that. So let's go into the final one. Would you just, we've got about two, three minutes. Would you just introduce yourself? Tell people who are listening what you did with the Ritz-Carlton, the Capella Hotels, and then give them your top practical leadership tip. And that will now nicely close this show. Yes, well, my, my name is Horst Schulze. I'm a hotelier. I'm People know me in my industry as a founder of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. I'm a co-founder. I was not an investor or a developer. I was the operational founder of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. After Ritz-Carlton, I founded another company, which in the ultra-luxury category, which is called Capella. And some in the industry, of course, people know that. And I, I'm very passionate about excellence in life. Excellence, for me, the important thing, excellence, everybody discusses the word excellence. What is it? Excellence is not an accident. Excellence is the result of high intent and hard work in life. High intent and the decisions of high intent. And then eventually, connected to that, your destiny are the decisions that you make in life. Decisions of excellence, again, of high intent. Those decisions, and that is true in everything. And for some reason, most people, and it scares me so much, they just function without purpose, without excellence, without high intent. Functioning, the chair in which you're sitting is functioning. We as human beings should have always high intent. But our society only functions, it seems, sometimes. They just go out and function. There is no high intent. So it's all, what is your decision? Everything in life, I'm going to say it now in a very simplistic way to make it understood. What is your decision in your marriage? Is, do you have high intent or just be married? Or is it a decision of absolute excellence for eternity? But if you make that decision, I purpose it silly thing here okay if you make the decision then you question yourself how i'm going to accomplish that decision and if you do that and follow up you will create excellence in your life in this case create marriage 
but it, it's true about everything and your work, your marriage and everything. It's a decision. And we have to understand that high intent, vision, create vision, create dreams, go after them, have high intent for life, for everything. Well, thank you very much, Horst Schulzer. It's superb having you on. It has been an ambition of mine to have you share your experience with everybody here on the Inspiring Leadership podcast. And you have done that. So thank you for your time. Well, it was my ambition to be with you. There we are. <laughs> thank you very much. God thank bless you. you. Thank you for listening. We hope we've ignited your curiosity and broadened your perspectives. My guests and I provide this service to you for free. All we ask in return is that you share it now with one other leader you know, so they also benefit too. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your podcast platform. We value your feedback and invite you to connect with us through my website, jonathanperks.com, where you can sign up for your weekly podcast newsletter. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm your host, Jonathan Bowman Perks, and thank you for joining us on the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. You can hear another unique guest next Tuesday. Goodbye. Goodbye.